1: this week on the Legion Clubhouse, we finally get rid of that stick in the mud,
0: <laughs> Superboy, and the Legion of Superheroes number two fifty eight, the Mind Attack of the Psycho Warrior, published December nineteen seventy nine, written by Jerry Conway with art by Joe Stanton. Synopsis: Can even a hero face their worst nightmares? Legion
1: of uh, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes two fifty eight, the Mind Attack. Of the Psycho Warrior. Psycho Warrior, mean, mean stride. I mean, maybe, oh, really? maybe, who knows? Uh, uh, Tom Sawyer came out with like 1976, something like That's that. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the cover, though, we have this, this image of uh, Psycho Warrior standing and laughing and <laughs> Lightning, <laughs> lightning Lad seen. holding on to uh, Saturn Girl who is like dissolving into this pink dust. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that popped to my mind was, oh man, Andromeda Strain. That's a movie that creeped me the heck out when I was a kid. And I don't know, you know, especially in light of things that are going on today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Andromeda Strain, a book, came out in 1969. Uh, this is uh, by the same author who wrote uh, Jurassic Park, who wrote uh, Timeline, who wrote Congo, who wrote, you know, a million books. did he also books. do Millennium? Um, I don't remember if he did Millennium or not. Which one was that about? Uh,
2: Millennium was the one where Chris Christopherson went back in time because of an airplane or something.
1: Oh yeah. Yes. He most certainly did. Uh, he most certainly did that, uh, as well. Um, this is of course, we're, we're talking about Michael Crichton in that, mm-hmm. but one of the things that came out about the Andromeda strain, uh, after the book came out. And then of course they did a, um, a movie adaptation of that in 1971. And then by 1979, it was already on, the over-the-air television, the commercial television stations. Because I remember watching that on a Saturday afternoon at my grandma's house and just freaking the heck out because, you know, it starts, or the parts that I remember is like these two guys dressed in an astronaut suit find this dead body and they slit its wrist open and nothing but red sand comes pouring yes. out. Yes, oh, then they,
2: so unnerving.
1: Then they go into this, like, town that's been eviscerated and they find an old man and a screaming baby and they have to figure out what's going on. And I guess the International Communicable Diseases Association or whatever they're called Mm -hmm. uh, came out and said that the Andromeda strain was one of the at the time, one of the most accurate depictions of how a virus or pandemic spreads uh, in in the world. And, you know, when you read that and of course, Michael Crichton, for those of you that that are not familiar with the guy, does an incredible amount of research into all of his books so if you're looking at his his uh time travel book or you're looking at uh, millennium or you're looking at uh something like the andromeda strain or jurassic park there's a seed of real science in his stuff uh and so when i look at this this cover and i see her dissolving to dust uh i have flashbacks to the andromeda strain of (laughs) the pre-1980s time period and you know also when we talk about andromeda strain you know we're in 1979 you no know, there is a mysterious disease that is killing people there is this mysterious disease that is uh, seems to be attacking the the gay and homosexual communities uh, of mm-hmm. the country and people still haven't figured that out by 1979 of course 1988 1981 of course everyone is calling it uh, aids and so we see the aids epidemic coming out at, at this as well so uh, just from the cover image, a lot of uh, a lot of things that uh, trigger my yeah. my uh, time period about diseases and communicable diseases, and and certainly this time period of twenty twenty one. Oh yeah, the thinking of communicable diseases is is high on my on my think list. So my first
2: thought on that cover is just how much better Dick Sordano is as an artist than the team of, you know, Dave Hunt and Joe Statton. And, you know, it's not as deep as yours, but I think it may
1: be even more painful. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Joe Statton art. I don't think he knows how to draw heavy set people because we do get to see um, RJ Brand in this issue, who's Mm -hmm. quite jowly, but then has a very fit uh, dad bod kind of vibe going for him. I'm like, that's not quite how we've seen... R.J. Brand yeah. drawn before or uh, uh, President Boltax, who uh, also makes an God. appearance in this issue.
2: Yeah, Boltax and his twin brother, R.J. Brand. Interestingly, though, I mean, I don't have a problem with Staten. I feel like Staten has a very cartoony style. Uh huh. I like cartoony styles in my comic books. Hunt does not. And, you know, Dave Hunt in- inking Joe Staten is kind of like, you know, a clown wearing a graduation cap. You just look at it and you wonder, why is this happening? But, you know... Again, that's just, you know, me complaining. And of course, I, I have to say it. I hate Psycho Warrior's costume. I,
1: I think there's something about it, given the time period and giving the printing technology and the color technology, mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of Deadshot in it, right? So you've got that kind of Deadshot spandex, uh, you know, uh, combat spandex kind of thing going on. It's got a little bit of Rob Liefeld in there in the uh, patches, or I'm sorry, the pouches and belts that cover The, the entire, uh, body. And then you also, uh, have a little bit of, uh, Ozzy, Ozzy Mandius with the little, (laughs) uh, uh, thing that goes around his neck. The thing that really sucks on this costume is Mm -hmm. his helmet. Everything else is like either is inspired from, or would later be, um, other people would draw inspiration from this kind of a jumpsuit, uh, kind of, kind of costume.
2: He's two years too early, but he looks like a lost member of G.I. Joe and oh, yeah. not the good ones like, you know, the eco warriors, but
1: are those the good ones or the bad ones? I don't follow G.I. Joe. The oh, yeah. what's wrong with people being eco warriors? Didn't you know it's the world's going to die in 2050? And it's orange and it's gold and blue and orange and gold. And I'm just like, I mean, those are all complementary colors for one another. I would actually say it's all together. Uh, I would, yeah. Blue and orange, definitely complimentary blue and yellow complimentary. Yeah. Uh, those yeah, work really blue well in and orange and yellow together. Altogether. And I'm not sure I would say orange as much as I would say red, because it's the same color that we see in Superman's cape that we see in Sunboy's, um, uh, costume in this. The
2: Sunboy's costume is orange though.
1: Hmm. Sunboy well,
2: and, and wildfire. One thing that
1: right. is one thing that's very interesting. And I think for those of you who are listening to this and have gone and bought either the digital editions of these issues there's a link in the show notes for anybody who wants to buy these issues via the comiXology link. Uh, the nice thing, if you go and you buy these issues to read them as we're talking about them, uh, we get a little bit that comes back our way. Not a whole lot. It's literally cents uh, yeah. on the entire issue. So if you're paying like it may $2. Be the
2: only cents that we have.
1: Yeah, if, if you're paying like $2 for one of these issues, I think we're getting like three to six cents out of that. So it's not a whole lot. But one thing that I that we probably uh, could talk at length about and this will either continue here or be a lengthier discussion in some future um, installment Mm -hmm. is the recoloring that goes on from the pulp paper of the day. And then when we get these slick paper reprints, like if you have the omnibus, the the silver age omnibus edition of the Legion of superheroes. um, But most of these older comics that are being reprinted today, Mm -hmm. because we don't have that pulp be paper, the colors are radically different than if you had an original issue and And by radically by radically different i mean the colors are brighter everything looks more flat than Mm -hmm. if you were looking at it in the original comic because the paper absorbs ink and spreads ink and smooths things out whereas if you're reading some of these reprints or you're reading the digital editions like like we are uh, or at least i am matthew's reading i think the originals um the the colors are more muted and they are not, uh, they're not as, as sharp yeah. as the, as the reprinted colors.
2: Yeah, And the, the copy that I have is, you know, it's, it's a solid
1: mm, 6.0. It's cream color. Oh, sure. Pages. And then if you get some cream colored pages, that's also going to affect. Yeah. yeah. It's really startling when you look at a cream colored, uh, page, you know, like a 6.0 or something like that, or even a five. And oh, yeah. then you compare that to the bleach white reprints of today. It you know, is I, radically, drastically different, and it's it's I shocking. It's shocking. Don't
2: like the, the reprints? Recolor. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I'm in total agreement with you, and it's and I'm not saying that they're going in and saying we're going to make RJ Brand's shirt uh, green instead of purple, or we're going to make you know right. this orange instead of red. But when you look at the the colors that are used in the original printing, the oranges and reds are very close to one another. Uh, but when you look at Uh, like RJ Brand's shirt on this first page in the original, you could say, yeah, that's purple. If you look at it in a reprint, you might say that that is a plum or a violet uh, (laughs) just because of how intense and saturated the colors are.
2: Yeah. And that does make a difference, especially when you're dealing with, you know, a story of this vintage, when you're four color printing, the reason they call it four color printing is that everything is a combination of red, yellow. I well, think it was red, blue, it's, it's
1: yellow, it's and cyan, black. It's CMYK, so it's cyan, yellow, in magenta. In 1978, it wasn't. Um, are you sure? I am pretty sure. Okay. All right. Uh, but four-color printing is usually CMYK. So you've got a black pass, you've got your it's cyan now. pass, your yellow pass, your magenta pass.
2: Like the reds that you see are actually a mix mm-hmm. of red and yellow. Mm-hmm. And so depending on how the colorist chose to do it, And, you know, also, depending on, you know, the eyes of the people reading it, you can look at it and say, hey, you know, these are different colors. But also worth noting in this issue, we finally do get the answer, the man, the person behind the stealing (laughs) of
1: R.J. Brand's money. There's a whole bunch of other stuff leading up to that, including the fact that they're in uh, R.J. Brand's penthouse apartment, which has been seized by the government, which makes me wonder... It's like, why? Well, I mean, there is a reason. Uh, in fact, you can go to irs.gov and find out the, the reason. Uh, there's a question. What happens after my property is seized? If the IRS seizes your house or other property, the IRS will sell your interest in the property and apply the proceeds to the cost of the, uh, of the sale to your tax debt. Prior to selling the property, the IRS will calculate a minimum bid price, and then they will also provide you with a cal- blah, blah, blah. How do I get my seized property back? Contact the IRS immediately. Resolve your tax liability and request a seizure release. So they have all of these things that apparently don't exist in the, uh, in the 30th century uh, because uh, you would think that R.J. Brand would have done this. And also, if this had been seized, it would have been locked down, which makes you wonder, how did R.J. Brand and all the members of the Legion of Superheroes Converge into his penthouse apartment. See,
2: so we talked about this in a previous episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a previous is, issue. He's he doesn't owe money. He's just gone bankrupt. So yeah. why is EarthGov actually posting armed sentries on his apartment? What are they afraid is going to happen?
1: Well, I mean, he could be broken, still owe lots of money. He but probably has he owes
2: money. They just said that he's he's gone bankrupt. He has no money. All of his. Fortune well, how's so he
1: going to pay the taxes on this penthouse?
2: have never mentioned the word
1: taxes. I mean, taxes that are, is, are you big? literally taxes never. It's just the future. Follow us far, far, this far into the future. the future. There are
2: no taxes. There are no common cold. Well, and so that's there the problem, no right? Gas stations. That's, that's
1: the problem because RJ Brand comes out and says, ah, we've discovered the president stealing all of my money. He's the one behind this. And then they go to the, uh, to the United Federation of planets and they're before the council and they show proof that, uh, president Boltax. Uh, who looks too much like R. j. Brand here, uh, by the way, um, uh, that he has been doing it. And the President is like, "You're right. I took all this guy's money because uh, we needed the money to rebuild. And so I just said, "Well, we're a better place to get the money than to steal it from the richest person in the, in the in the universe." which when you see that, it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's corruption on the highest scale right there.
2: it is, but it also brings up the question of whether the, you know, the needs of the many, these suffering children, Thousands, millions of suffering people around the planet. So there
1: are there's a lot of ways to do this besides seizing the assets of RJ Brand, oh, or illegally, absolutely. illegally seizing the assets of RJ Brand. You could tax the rich. You could, as we find out uh, after after bull taxes, like take me away, and then he runs away and nobody arrests him and nothing ever happens to him. The other thing you could do is just go to RJ Brand and say, RJ Brand, you are the richest person in the universe, and the Earth has been destroyed can you help us out? And as RJ brand says, uh, I don't want my money back. I'm an earthling too. Please use it for the betterment of, of the earth. What's wrong with going to some rich people and saying, Hey, uh, can you help us out? Yep. I mean, does anyone ever go to billionaires today and say, Hey, uh, we represent the government or the, the, uh, UN or whoever. Can you give us some money so we can fix Michigan's water problem? Can you give no, us money so that we space. no, The problem is, I don't think anyone ever approaches these people and says, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Jay-Z, please give us money so we can fix this. I don't think anyone does that. And that's obviously the same thing that happens here in the future is no one is going to RJ Brand and saying, please help us. Because by the end, he's crying and RJ Brand is like, yes, I would definitely take my money. I will pull myself up by the bootstraps. And I will once again build stars. I will never be hungry again.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's a strong moment for brand. He's like, keep my money. I'm a self-made man. By God, I'll be rich again. Every time RJ brand speaks, I "I hear Richard Dixon from Futurama.
1: You know, we were talking, you, we were talking last time about how, um, I was questioning, you know, what kind of a star maker RJ brand was. Mm Mm-hmm. And you were saying that he's in the business of, of making, you know, gassy stars. And I was like, are we sure he's not talking about like Lou Perlman type stars? Because by the end of this issue, RJ Brand is like, hey, teenagers, come and live in my penthouse with me. And this can be your headquarters. I'm not sure he's the kind of star maker that people think he is.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not having this discussion again.
1: I, I just, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Also, and oh, go ahead.
2: I feel like this issue never really addresses the bull tax. I mean, bull tax is like maybe you should come with us, but this is very important. We never see him punished. We never hear about an impeachment. We never hear about him being removed from power. And I went and I looked this up. Um, Legion, or who's who in the Legion of Superheroes number three, which comes out about seven years after this, actually says. That he served out his term as president without incident, which implies that he was never punished for this clearly illegal activity, Uh, maybe because R.J. Brand said, you know, hey, keep the money. Yeah,
1: I think that's probably the reason why is, you know, had R.J. Brand said, you owe me, I'm going to sue you for all this money, then I think we would have seen ball tax out.
2: But this is still clearly corruption this is oh still yes clearly
1: oh yes most definitely this is
2: totally illegal. allowed this this is very important because those of you who have been listening you know that you know Bull Tax watch this is the final bulltax Tax watch because he never appears again in the pre-crisis run of the legion of superheroes so basically he gets away with it we don't hear anything about the president of earth for about another 15 or 20 issues after this and at that time it's a new president being installed so the final tax watch has him with gray hair and a Charlie Chaplin mustache, and thus ends the story of President Candrew slash Candrew slash Klando Boltax the third, who may or may not be the same guy, but you know we are just going to treat him as the same guy.
1: I've got a question: when they're confronting the president uh, oh. on that page, page three, yes. or I'm sorry, page nine, um, that very top panel. Uh-huh. Is, is that an ambush bug race that's being represented? <laughs> is, is that Lois Lane and, 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 and Jimmy Olsen being represented there? Because that sure does look like an ambush bug. It kind of does look like ambush bug. Um,
2: now that you mention it.
1: I think it's just supposed to be motion lines, but it, they look like antennae.
2: Everybody's going, oh, my God, what's going on? And of course, ambush bug doesn't exist yet. Yeah, that's I why I was bug wondering, because it's like it's a very in like unique 82
1: it's a very unique uh, look that stood out. I mean, when we talk about aliens, uh, we, we have where our chameleon boy races and our R.J. brand races. Right. Um, And then
2: that, that green guy who looks familiar for some reason.
1: Well, I mean, uh, yes, of course uh, the beluga whale race.
2: Right. You know, those people.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, okay. So it all gets, you know, RJ brand is like, yes, I will rebuild my star power again. Teenagers Mm -hmm. come live with me in my penthouse and we'll all be good again. Meanwhile, at uh, the Saint Croix Mental Hospital in uh, Saint Croix, um, there is a guy who's trying to escape, and he's got a, a widow's peak, and he's got glasses, and he's afraid of windows, and he shoots anything that has glass in it. I mean, literally, he says, "That window, get away, get away!" and he blasts the hell out of a window. Um, this guy has an extreme widow's peak, and we see if you look at a lot of the scientists in uh, this issue, they also have pronounced widow's peaks. Mm-hmm. Do you, I have a theory why, but do mm-hmm. you know why the widow's peak is very prominent on, on sciencey types?
2: Um, because Joe Statton takes the term egghead literally.
1: No. So, uh, I believe this goes all the way back to the 1930s with doc Savage. Now doc Savage in his original, uh, pulp descriptions has wavy hair. Uh, it's, it's perfectly combed. It's the color bronze. It looks really good on him. Those were tales that took place in the 1930s, right? Mm -hmm. When Bantam Books, uh, was going to republish those original pulp stories that appeared in magazines and put them in book form. Uh, they hired, and I forget what is the artist's name off the top of my head. Uh, but they hired him to James Bama. Yeah. Bama. They hired him to, uh, paint new Doc Savage covers. I have a whole bunch of prints of the, of the covers sans, uh, uh, title marks, uh, in my office. And so he did this for the very first one. Anytime you t- you do a search for uh, James Bama and Doc Savage, you'll see this brilliant, uh, photo of, of Doc Savage that he painted. The problem is in Bama's original painting, uh, he went with the original description of how Doc Savage combed his hair. And somebody at Bantam Books said, no, kids these days, and this is in the 1960s, kids these days are not going to buy a book that has a guy that looks like everyone else. We need to set him apart, give him a buzz cut and give him a widow's peak. And so Obama went in and gave Doc Savage an extreme buzz cut widow's peak. And the books, you know, flew off the shelves. Uh, especially that that first run, uh, people were very taken by it. It looked very futuristic. Uh, that person at Bantam thought that sci-fi and and futuristic meant buzz cuts and widow's peaks, and uh, that is that's why I think that we see so many people portrayed in the in the 1970s with the the short cropped hair and widow's peaks to represent scientists because of the success of the Doc Savage Bantam book reprints. That's, that's my, that's my, um, that's my thought. Meanwhile, it's actually a pretty interesting theory. Meanwhile, we discover this guy in this, uh, this suit that Matthew loves so much. Uh, we discover that he is going into the, um, the mental database of the the mental institute, which, which, I mean, the guy broke into it. It's not like he's violating HIPAA or that the hospital is violating HIPAA. I mean, I could go in
2: the psychological profiles of the greatest heroes in the galaxy at least have maybe like a
1: password on them. I mean, he broke into it. So, I mean, he's probably pretty smart and he could call it up. I mean, uh, you have to remember that a lot of records in the 1970s were not on electronic forms. Or if they were, they were still fairly easy accessible. But most stuff was in a, you know, you could go into a doctor's office and open a filing cabinet with all the patient records in there. I mean, even up until uh, like 10 years ago. I would go to my eye doctor and they had rows and rows and rows of all of the files in these collapsing uh, filing cabinet things. And you could go in and pull out a paper copy and they would go back 20 years. So if you're taking that thinking and saying, well, how are the medical records going to be stored in the future? Well, let's replace it with paper and put it onto magnetic tape. And if your records are that easily, and this again is before HIPAA and all that stuff was put into place, it would be fairly easy to get a hold of someone's records if you broke into a place.
2: Yeah, it's still stupid.
1: I mean, it's also on St. Croix, the uh, greatest mental hospital in the entire earth. So you would think that maybe you'd
2: you'd think would they were the ones holding Brainiac five when Brainiac five. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, where's he at
1: now that he's all uh, fixed? He just totally disappeared. Huh. Weird.
2: Yeah. Well, and this is, you know, that's one of my big complaints about uh, Jerry Conway Legion. Which is, is that they focus on three or four Legionnaires at a time. Yeah. From, and from issue to issue, it just sort of rotates and I'm totally, and it doesn't f- make I'm, any sense where people go.
1: I, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, that concept of, uh, because I don't think that, um, uh, what's her name? A uh, shadow lass. Mm-hmm. she's like in almost every panel in this issue. I don't think she utters a single word in this issue. So you, you basically have when
2: Sunboy was being engulfed in shadow, she might have done something to help.
1: I see uh, I see Shrinking Violet has a lot of lines oh. but I don't see I don't see her actually having a word that she says in in this issue uh, now that may change in the next issue but what you end up is with a lot of people just standing around doing nothing and I and so from my standpoint instead of having people just standing around doing nothing you know just reactionary shots and not having dialogue which seems really odd especially if you're a fan of of Shadow Lass or Shrinking Violet or somebody like that. I'm okay with keeping it it's simple because, I mean, that's that's easier storytelling, right? You don't have to keep track of everybody that's in a scene. You don't have to keep track of, you know, 33 people that, have, that need to have something to say. I think when I pitched my idea of a Legion of Superheroes television show for CW, that was my idea is to have a rotating cast where you have, you know, four to five members who are on, for like two episodes. And then that rotates out to another team doing another mission. And then that rotates out to another team doing another mission. And then your mid season and your finale, they all come together in that kind of sense. So from that standpoint, I can kind of get behind what, what Conway is doing in that storytelling method. I can't,
2: I feel like if you want to simplify by having fewer members, you're on the wrong title when you're writing
1: the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, but you can't have 33 people doing something in a single issue. No, but
2: you also can't have four people in one issue and then go to the next issue and have it be a different four people or well, have and the two reason, people disappear or have Brainiac 5 just drop off the face of the planet when he might have been useful and was with his other, with the fellow Legionnaires in issue before.
1: I think he's hanging out. He must be hanging out in the background somewhere at, at, uh, oh, yeah. he's, RJ he's Brand's apartment.
2: But the reason why he's we the don't one have who helped president Kendrew steal the money.
1: The, the reason why we don't have four Legionnaires from one issue to the next is because the uh, psycho pirate, no, I'm sorry, psycho warrior has taken out four of those people. he essentially uh causes he he causes some black goop or something to come out of the sky and wrap itself around Sunboy. and so we discover sunboy uh, has a weakness against um the dark He's afraid of the dark, which I don't know. what are your thoughts on that? hate it why Hate it
2: hate it hate it it feels very it feels on the nose. I mean, yes, it makes sense that a character who can generate light might think he's on all the time.
1: Do you think he's generating some kind of light all the time?
2: Possibly. I mean, it's not something that we've established before and I get it. You know, this is 1979. We're starting to deepen the, the, the characterization. We're getting to the end of the bronze age. We're getting to a point where these are going to become more rounded characters. Mm -hmm. I get that, but I feel like Sunboy as a friend of the dark, is just really a kind of a cheap thing, you know. It's like, hey, you know, it would be great. Okay, so Sunboy's afraid of the dark, right? Shadow Lass should be afraid of the sun. Well, but I they mean, it's be not best friends, and they have to overcome each
1: other. But is, is that what happens here? Is that what happens in this series? Okay, then uh, I do like the idea that Shadow Lass, who most people dismiss. Innocence could take down Sunboy now that she knows. And that's the whole point of what Psycho Warrior is doing when he broke into their medical files is to find out the thing that is going to break them. And I would think that if you're someone I was watching um, a video the other day of uh, can can pure silence drive you crazy? And the answer is basically, yeah, it can for prolonged uh, periods of time. And so if you're someone who is always lit, uh, both metaphorically and probably literally in the case of Sunboy um when you have all of your light taken away or you're engulfed in pure blackness i can see that that could be something that would scare you now he may also just have a childhood fear of of the dark I, my my guess would be that if if i had to psychoanalyze sunboy he would be afraid of father figures because he would be afraid that he's going to throw him in a microwave and cook him that's that's what i would think his phobia would be which is yeah. likewise then why does sun girl or i'm sorry saturn girl why does she have a fear of too many people? Her
2: fear her, is he- not being able to turn off her powers and mm. being overwhelmed by everyone else's brain. Mm. She can't shut out the power, which is actually true. Apparently somebody put a microchip on her brain. Nobody noticed it. Oh, it,
1: it's Psycho like Warrior. He's <sighs> the one that did it. Also, uh, then what is light, Lightning Lad's uh, phobia? Is it, is it the Andromeda strain because his girlfriend turns <laughs> to dust?
2: He's afraid of losing his girlfriend, his wife at this point. So, yeah, I mean, he's got abandonment issues out the wazoo. And that makes sense to me because he's from a planet of twins. He grew up constantly surrounded by another half of him. You know, his brother ended up being exiled from society and went literally el Bonzo seco Because he was exiled from their twin society, so yeah, losing your other half seems like a really legitimate fear for Lightning Lad. Even though it feels kind of cheap, you know, he's the only active married Legionnaire. Obviously, losing his wife is going to make him collapse. Okay, I feel like that one works.
1: But why Sand? The
2: Sun Boy. Why can't she just fade away?
1: Why can't she just turn into a gas or something? I don't know. Well, how does that change the the nature of the fear, though? Well, I mean, uh, at least with with Sun Boy, his makes sense. Saturn Girls makes sense. My Sun girlfriend, my girlfriend turned to a pile of sand. Maybe he's afraid that if he uses his electric powers around her, she'll turn into glass and shatter. I don't know.
2: I can tell you from experience that dreaming of having someone you love crumble away to dust, You've as though they the have and, aged and, and
1: died. Andromeda strain.
2: They've been watching. No, the Andromeda actually, strain. I watched fourteen oh eight. But 1408 has a similar scene where, you know, you know, the guy's daughter crumbles to dust and falls apart. And it's really awful. And it gave me nightmares when I saw it. But mm. I I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like the the lightning lad works, the Saturn girl works. I just I don't like Sunboy being afraid of the dark.
1: Also, this issue is only what, like 17 pages long, 17 pages of actual it's a f- story. It's yes. a fairly fast story. There's no. Um, I don't think there's a letters page and I don't think that there's a backup story in this, right? It does so this have is, a
2: letters page. Okay. Um, well, so this no, would it doesn't be, have a letters page. So this would uh, probably a, be
1: with ads about 20, 22 pages.
2: Yeah. It doesn't have a letters page, but it does have a DC, um, uh, bulletin bulletins or whatever they yeah, call it. Yeah. Them. yeah. yeah. But you know, there's a couple of house ads in it, and of course, one of the house ads is a warning of what's going to happen in the next issue. Uh-oh. Uh oh. I don't know if you saw it, but uh...
1: no, the reprints don't include any of the house ads. In fact, if you are reading the reprints um, mm-hmm. in in the collected editions, you don't see it as much. By the time we hit the 70s, um, sometimes you'll still see it when in the corner they will say, you know, a story continues after page, you know, after two pages or whatever. That, right. and then you turn the page and the story's still there. Um, back in the day, there would be a double page spread in there, or there'd be a single page ad. And so it's just letting you know, Hey, read past the ad to get to the rest of the story. Right. But if you're reading some of the reprints and you notice that there's like a half of a page and the bottom half has like a Legion logo or a DC logo or something in you, in there. And you're like, Oh, that's weird that they only printed half a page. The bottom half of that issue was a half page ad. Yep. Um, so those don't show up in, in the reprints
2: that actually starts to happen less and less as we get out of the seventies. Oh oh, but. yeah. I mean
1: the half page ads, I think by this point are pretty much all gone. Um, just because it's a, it's a, it's a pain in the, it's a pain in the, in fact, we've seen some reprints in mm-hmm. some of the uh, collected editions already where they've had that issue of what are we going to do with this half page space? So I think they've figured out that it wasn't, um, a good use of their time to be trying to sell half a, quarter page ads and instead going for the full page and double page ads, uh, because there's more money in that. Uh, plus probably setting that up on a printer is probably easier. And as far as storytelling being told, Hey, your half page here needs to be, you know, this page here is only going to have half of a page. I think that also is, I think I I can't remember who I, somebody used to write and do art when, during the half page ad thing. And they said it was the biggest pain in the butt when you were told that, on this page there's going to be a half page ad and they had to work the story around that ad and it, it you know it kind of throws things off so yeah by by this time we're seeing kind of the end of that and getting more into the full page stuff but over the next uh, 20 years well not even 20 years at this point probably 15 years 18 years we're going to pretty much see ads for muscle beach and kung fu fighting and x-ray specs just completely go away We will see some stuff with the got milk stuff will start to arise in about 15 years and we'll see some game video game ads. But for the most part today, the only place you're going to find ads are inside the front and back covers Mm -hmm. and then on the back of the issue. So really, unless they've gotten some deal where you're getting a middle double and that's usually right in the middle of the issue, uh, an ad there most of the ads internally in comics are not there anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, by the end of the eighties, you're going to see the ads cut to virtually nothing, but you'll also see, you know, things like house ads and crossover Mm -hmm. bits and Mm -hmm. buy this new thing from DC, whatever it is that you're looking at. But uh, I don't know. I feel like 17 pages for 40 cents when we were getting 60 pages for 35 cents, you know, a year and a half ago, Is probably the biggest indicator to me uh, that the, you know, the DC implosion and the problems and the, you know, the paper shortages have really had a detrimental effect on comics. Because if you look at what we get, this feels like half a story. And I kind of wonder if it doesn't feel like half a story because it literally is what would have been one full issue, 258 and 259. Before, you know, we broke down and stopped doing the, the double-sized issues, which yeah, and I, I know think some happened right before Earth War.
1: Some people might be saying, I was, I was looking at an interesting thing. Um, Tom Brevoort over at Marvel Comics uh, posted in his newsletter this past weekend an article about um, the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man from 1990 and the sales that it went. He actually shared actual sales numbers from 1990, not the combobulated numbers that people are estimating based on what diamond is reporting today. But these were actual numbers. And I was looking at some of the cover prices and people were saying, Oh man, those are really cheap comics back in the day. And I ran the inflation calculator for the comics in the nineties and probably about 1992 today, the cover change in comics follows pretty much follows the rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. This one, probably doesn't because now I can't go in and let me just go into the inflation calculator right now. I'm going to go in for forty cents in 1979, compared to uh, 2021 today. That would be uh, forty cents in 1979 is equivalent to about a dollar fifty today. So it doesn't follow the rate of inflation. Uh, the cover prices doesn't follow the rate of inflation that we've seen prior to
2: 1990. Right. Um, well, I mean, comics stayed ten cents
1: mm-hmm, for, a long for the time. better
2: part of thirty years. Yeah. I mean and then they were at 12 forever so you know you get to a point where literally as you get out of the 1960s the price of comic books has skyrocketed you know we're looking at four times the price comparatively speaking right. obviously in, in not in absolute dollars because then you'd have to go and do right. that right cuz like i said
1: if you're them. doing the inflation calculator a comic today uh that we were paying let's say what's it 350 let's say is an average today um mm-hmm when we look in 1979 uh, that is the equivalent of 94 cents. No, that's, that's not right. Uh, This, this, (laughs) this calculator doesn't have things uh, set up right. Um, but it's, you know, you kind of get that idea of let's run it backwards. Yeah. And by 1984
2: comics will be 60 cents. And by the end of the decade, you're going to be looking at routinely a buck and a quarter, a buck mm -hmm, 50 mm -hmm. for this, you know, For the same amount of material.
1: Yeah. Uh, So that's the end of part one. We need to find out who this psycho warrior is and uh, what he's all about in the next issue.
0: If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers.
1: Middle segments. Uh, what is going on in the letters page, Matthew, that you you saw something interesting in the letters page?
2: Uh, the adult Legion story from Venture 352. Which one was that about? It was the story where we went. Superman went to the future uh-huh. and met the future Legion, and we saw who got married
1: and oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. who retired and, and yeah, all yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who was in charge of the uh, And of who the was planet. dead and who was yeah, there, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So that adult Legion story from, you know, 1966... Basically set in stone the future of the Legion of Superheroes. And someone wrote in to say, I wish that I had never read that story when I read the issue where Brainiac 5 and Matter Eater Lad might be, you know, mad and lost forever. Because that story shows us that Brainiac 5 is fine, that Matter Eater Lad is fine. It shows us that, you know, Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad got married, which did happen. It shows us you know, the, the bonding moments, that Ultra Boy married Phantom Girl, and it locks that future Legion down to a point where we know, theoretically, what's going to happen. And so the editor actually responded to that letter by saying, yes, we have talked. He, uh, Jack C. Harris, the editor, and the writer, Jerry Conway, have talked about that future Legion tale and how they have a plan to, quote-unquote, resolve that future aspect to try and finally get away from it. Because at this point it's been 15 years kind of locked into those future stories that Jim shooter wrote when he
1: was 14 years old. Oh, and was the answer stick around kids. We got something called crisis on the event horizon. And if no, that doesn't crisis. satisfy you, we've got something called Zero Hour. And if that doesn't satisfy you, I predict far into the future something called Three Boots. You
2: are way too cynical. No, they actually deal with it well before that. They deal with it in, I think, 80 or 1 or 82. Uh, it's not that far off, but the Future Legion story finally gets its just desserts and everything gets wrapped up in issue 300, which is a about three years down the line. But it's also one of those things where you do have to ask yourself, when you do one of those future stories, do you treat it as the Marvel universe where this is a possible future? Or are we going to treat it DC style where these things happened? They will happen. They always will have happened. And I think it's interesting that, you know, at this point in 1979, early 1980, that DC is operating under the theory that, A story written in 66 by a kid in between geometry classes is the official, undeniable, inexorable future of the Legion of Superheroes. 3 boots. Stop it.
0: Legion of Superheroes number 259, Psycho War. Published January 1980, written by Jerry Conway with art by Joe Stanton. Synopsis. Superboy learns a terrible secret that makes him leave the Legion.
1: Let's get down to business and talk about the Psycho War Part 2. Qu'est-ce say? Pa 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 pa. So this it's is it, this is interesting because we hit this issue, which is uh, 259. Mm-hmm. is actually kind of weird because it used to be called Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. This one is just Legion of Superheroes and they got so close, right? So 259 is where we get the name change. That's really close to their first appearance of the Legion of Superheroes in Action Comics 247. <laughs> Adventure
2: uh, Comics 247.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's very close to that. So I was like, oh, you guys got really close and then and then they changed it. So
2: They did. And the 259 as a breaking point, doesn't make sense unless you realize what else happened in October of 1979 with a street date of January 1980 Superboy got his new his own new solo book back so this issue 259 Superboy leaving the Legion of Superheroes Indicia basically and cover is coinciding on the, on the stands the very same day as issue
1: one of the new adventures of Superboy. Yeah. Which is also interesting too, because I wonder if there isn't a resurgent, you know, if someone looks at Superboy and the Legion of superheroes and they open it up and it's like, I don't know who any of these people are. I just want to read about Superboy, especially when we consider the year before Superman, the motion picture uh, came out in 1978. Uh, So basically we've had the last 10 months, if this is a street date of October, um, right. The last eight to nine months has probably been inundated with "You Can Believe a Man Will Fly," and so I wonder if there isn't this push also to say we really need to make Superman his own thing, and anything that isn't Superman, Lois Lane, uh, or Superboy is stuff that needs to we need to do something with. And you know, you've got Jack Kirby over there is going, "I got an idea for Jamie Olsen," and they're like, "Fine, Jack, just go do whatever you want." <laughs> and then you have, and then you have uh, Jerry Conway. That's like I got a Legion of Superheroes, and they're like, okay, fine. Let's just get Superboy out of this continuity for now, and let you just focus on this anyway. Superboy is such a stick in the mud in the future, anyway. Everyone else is wearing like uh, corsets and some tight crop pants and things that don't hold the hide the bulge. And Superboy's like, well, back in the nineteen fifties, this is not appropriate dress wear. <laughs> And and then the little girl sitting on the bench is like, Superboy, are you stupid or something? And then we get this issue. So I, a little, I, little bit of a heads up, uh, Superboy's not not in this issue at the end of this issue.
2: No, Superboy leaves the Legion again. But uh, it, it, I, I would like to point out that Jack Kirby's run on Jimmy Olsen started like 10 years before this. But other than that, uh, uh, I don't know. But yeah, you you do have to ask yourself because at this point, Superman has four essentially four monthly books because he has Superman, he has Action Comics, he'll have Superboy now, and DC Comics Presents, which is the yeah, Superman which is his team,
1: team ups book. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So you know, I wonder if you know this was a conscious attempt. Well, obviously, it was a conscious attempt to separate the Legion
1: out into its own thing. Well, and then that that uh, that continues, right? Because. Even in the 1980s, and I've talked about this before, by the time Supergirl has her book, um, you basically had a Superman family title coming out every week, right? So you could Mm -hmm. always go to the newsstand every week and there would be a new Superman family comic book on the stands. And so I'm wondering if this is also part of that as well.
2: There is literally the Superman family, Mm -hmm. actually, now that you mentioned it being published. Uh, As of right now, as of right now, when these comics came out to like 82. So yeah, that would be another Superman book.
1: Yeah. Uh, So the, uh, the St. Croix Medical Center arrives and they're like, ah, let us shine these beams on the, on the kids and they'll be fine after their big night's sleep. And they're like, well, how do you know about this? And they're talking about magnets. Everything's done with magnets these days, boys. And they're not, I mean, they're talking about how, um, they're, Regis, bodies, Regis their body, bodies have been locked up through neural paralysis because of the strong magnetic pulse, which is not too far off from what is actually happening. Uh, even today, I went and did a search on magnetizing the neural system and came across a couple of very interesting papers where they're talking about mechanisms of magnetic stimulation of the central nervous system neur- neurons. And a couple of other ones that's just basically talking about how you can um, stimulate the neurons to either uh, speed up uh, memory or to uh, speed up healing uh, is what a lot of these are talking about. But nothing that I see anywhere where you're going to magnetically align someone's neurons to where they they go into a uh, neural lock. That also being said, there have also been a lot of studies uh, in the last mm, 30 years of what happens if we put your brain inside of a large magnetic field, like kind of what happens if you go in for an MRI. Um, in these cases, they put these this net of magnets over your head, and they turn on these magnets to stimulate different parts of your brain. And one of the things that happens that they found out is if your, certain regions of your brain are being stimulated by magnetic pulses, you start to become paranoid and think that someone is in the room with you. So there have been people who have hypothesized That sometimes people that talk about alien abductions, which is a huge thing right now in the time of this um, comic book being released, Mm -hmm. uh, is that people may have been exposed to large magnetic um, sources like the TVs, which are just giant magnets deflecting light, um, that those kinds of things may cause symptoms that people are very similar to what people have when they're having an alien abduction unable to move. They think someone's in the room, even though they don't see anyone in the room, this right. feeling that someone's probing them, all those kinds of things. So there's a little bit, and I'm when I say a little bit, I mean a very little bit of science in this book. <laughs> but, uh yeah.
2: You know, I, I like to think of the words of the great scientist Shaggy 2-Dope, who said, effing magnets, how do they work?
1: Yeah. Also, this is the point in this issue where uh, R.J. Brand says, hey, kids, if you want to just hang out here in my penthouse and make this your headquarters, go for it. And that also made me realize that, like, not even, what, five or six years prior to this, mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne decided to move out of the Batcave and okay. move into his penthouse apartment. This was in Batman 217. I don't, I don't have the year in front of me for that one.
2: That but I remember it
1: okay. was after Dick went to college. Yep. And, uh, Batman didn't have Dick any round, Dick around anymore. <laughs> and so he's like, I'm just going to move to the Wayne headquarters and live in the penthouse there and do everything out of my, out of my building. Um, so Wayne I found Foundation that very interesting
2: building with the big tree in the middle, which always cracked me up. Uh, you can have stuff like that. Well, I'm not saying you can't, I just think it's kind of hilarious that, you know, it's this enormous office building with a giant tree in the middle Yeah, like the X-Men. You a, know, a, a tree,
1: people. a tree grows in Gotham. Doesn't it though? Yeah. Uh, yeah. let's see. What else do I have? Oh, so then we learn the truth. The scientists are still hanging around and they're like, huh, oh, we can I tell you the truth about what happened to this guy. His name is Reginald or something like that. I don't know. His
2: real Regis Tomac. <laughs> Reg- of the Regis
1: Tomac. Of you know, the, you
2: remember him. He used to host with Kathy Lee. Regis yeah, and Kathy
1: Lee. He, uh, he's um, from the planet Bunyan.
2: Right. It's a planet made entirely out of toes. It is. And
1: it is a hell planet.
2: It is. And everyone there dresses just like the psycho warrior.
1: Huh. Weird
2: which is ridiculous. I mean it's his uh,
1: uniform. I mean it's not like he it's not like he created the costume to be the psycho warrior. I mean this is the clothes that he was discovered in when they found him drifting in space and this is the uniform quote unquote of the people of Bunyan's world who the only reason they're on this planet and they're constantly <laughs> being attacked by by monsters left and right uh is because of mining ore on this planet. And so Day and night, night and day. If you look in the background panels of this, there's just these military weapons just firing nonstop 24-7 for decades as they try to keep people safe. So it's a military compound is what it is. Yeah.
2: But Regis fell in oh. love with a girl named Matil.
1: Yeah. No, and- I think it's Mattel. I think DC was trying at this point to do the uh, superpowers collection. And so they were like, Hey, if we call
2: Marvel at this point,
1: no, uh, (laughs) who did the, who did the superpowers collection though? Wasn't that Matil? Well, that was the Matil brand. I think that's what they're trying to do here. Yes. But anyway, Regis and Matil decide that they're going to go to earth to get their Mm education. And uh, as their rocket ship is flying through space, they decide that it's time to make out and get it on.
2: At which point the gravity goes nuts and they are dragged into an exploding supernova. As happens in any given Oasis song, at which point Regis, the once and future psycho uh, warrior, watches his girlfriend annihilated in the heat of a sun.
1: And then somehow he winds up in space floating alone with only his spacesuit to protect him, even though he was in the escape pod. I'm not understanding what's happening there, but uh, he drifted in space for two months. He drifted in space for two months and only his super suit to protect him.
2: Floating for two months thing bothers me. This is actually something that I, I I don't necessarily hate it, but the whole tragic backstory that explains why a villain does evil things. This is, this is like a real is, Jerry Conway thing.
1: This one, there's a real stretch in this because so the guy sees his girlfriend get exploded and he goes right. into a catatonic state. So when they take him to St. Croix, he's basically just there. They're trying to help him recover. And while he's just sitting around and observing things, he notices Brainiac 5's friends show up. He notices there's a lightning lad and the Saturn girl and a super boy. And, oh, there's a guy that's a sun boy. Ah, the sun, not the sun. You killed my girlfriend. Therefore, I will destroy you all, Legion of Superheroes. So really, Which is the this greatest, is all sun boy's fault. This is the greatest stretch in trying to create a super... I mean maybe it's not because we see like people that go and stalk and kill women today, that it's mm-hmm. just like her perfume reminded me of my mom's perfume. And so I had to kill her, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I think that that's kind of what's going on here with, uh, Regis and the, and Sun boy, mm-hmm. but man, is it a stretch even in, In 1979, I mean, at least they could have said the dog was in the room and told me to kill the Legion of Superheroes. That would have been a little bit more believable. And I mean, you're right uh, by calling
2: a character the Psycho Warrior. You're you're right on the edge of you know almost a slur against people who have mental illness. Which, granted, you know, it's 40 years later. You're going to have these things pop up here and there. I mean, at least it's not overt racism. No, no, no. But you do you do come to a question of did we really need that tragic backstory to make this man target Sunboy and want to attack the the Legion? And what it really comes down to is the reason that this all seems to be happening is to get rid of Superboy.
1: Yeah, and that's that's why I think this is a big stretch. So obviously uh, Psycho Warrior is suffering from survivor's guilt. He survived when his his girlfriend did not. So he's lashing out at anything. This explains why he was shooting at the window because he saw the sun out the window and he shot that. Pew, pew. So he's shooting at light. So, but at the same time, in his attempt, <laughs> in his, he's trying to shoot the sun. I mean, we've seen dumber, <laughs> we've seen dumber things happen, right? Um, Have we though? <laughs> I mean, Matthew, seriously, yes. open your door and walk down the street. You will find dumber things than people trying to shoot, shoot at the sun. I just in the world around your door, my door is lovely um, but the other thing is he uh kryptonite punches superboy down onto uh superboy planet, and there he runs into the superboy museum where he oh. finds out where his parents are buried, supposedly at the superboy museum
2: uh well, yes, at first, he doesn't realize it's the superboy museum, but yes, yeah, Superboy crash lands and finds the headstone of Jonathan and Martha.
0: Why did you use that name?
2: Kent. And realizes, oh no, this is my parents' headstone. And he can see
1: when they're going to die. Right. And it's actually kind of. Not only when they're going to die, but how they're going to die. They opened a a pirate treasure chest and succumbed to a virus uh, that was inside.
2: An alien fever plague.
1: Uh, to make it sound less wow. I mean, it's perhaps more ridiculous. Or now. a delta variant of some kind. Who knows? Oh, no. Stop seriously, that. because here's the thing. Did you know, and this is something that I've known for years, that um when you are digging up someone's grave prior to nineteen twenty, you have to be super, super careful when you are digging up those graves, even today, because the people that you that died prior to nineteen twenty could have had the influenza flu of 1918. And for the longest time, I don't know if it's so much the case today, but I remember uh, just here locally back in the um, uh, late 90s where some they were moving a cemetery or they had to change a cemetery around. And so all the old Volga Germans had to be interviewed to find out, did any of the people that they were digging up die from the flu? Because if that influenza got out, it could have started a global pandemic all over again. Uh, so, you know, for for these people to have died by opening a chest of of alien something or others is not too far off from uh, this idea of you don't open the graves of people who died prior to 1920 for fear of unleashing the uh, the Spanish flu again.
2: Right. But it should be noted that Superman 161 actually had Clark taking his parents back in time to the 1870s, where they literally dug up an ancient treasure chest. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, in like the the 17th century, and then he had to try and save them from pirates, and then they literally both died of this plague. And Superboy, you know, was like, "Oh no, now I must go to Metropolis." But what? essentially, so he, it comes down to Super, you know, Superboy slash Man feeling like he killed his parents.
1: Also, survivor's guilt there too, right? So this Absolutely. is what this kind of turns into. But the weird thing is, as we've talked about before in this series. When Superman travels back from the future, he's got a memory wipe to where Mm -hmm. he doesn't remember anything that's happened. So even if he goes from the future where he finds out that his parents are dead and how they died by the time he travels back to 1950, um, he doesn't know how they died. All he knows is that, oh, I went on an adventure and now I'm back and it was all good. Wink, wink. But
2: every time he goes to visit the Legion, his memory will return And he will remember that as long as he's in the future, he will be like, oh yeah, Ma and Pa Kent died, and I know
1: how they died. Hey, guess what, Superboy? You're in the future. Everyone you know is dead, except for that uh, descendant of uh, Lois Lane or Lana Lang or whoever she is. Uh, Laurie Lemus' descendant, where she tried to hit on Superboy a couple of uh, issues ago. Uh, Yeah, everyone you know is dead, Superboy. Get over it. Um, But he thinks that... uh, I must now exile myself in the past so I can never know the fate of my parents. And to top it off, Saturn Girl because we already know that he's goes through this huge process to get brainwiped by Brainiac 5, who also again doesn't appear in this issue. Um but at the same time, Saturn Girl plants this uh thing in his head to say never come back. We don't like you anymore.
2: Well, and Superboy's dialogue indicates that he was not getting ready to quit the legion he insisted that he wanted to keep his memory of his parents' deaths to make them real because he treated the future like you know running away with peter pan and he was going to the past to think and that's when saturn girl to protect him said do not return superboy
1: you suck we Go don't have your like own you solo title. yeah we don't like you anymore we want to be the hip kids that hang out in a penthouse apartment and we can't do it with a stiff like you hanging around. Why
2: do you keep saying?
1: <laughs> they are not going to hang out in a penthouse apartment. That's what RJ brand said. He says, you guys are welcome RJ to stay brand here as long as you like. And they're
2: like, Hey, thanks for letting us hang out in your apartment for a minute.
1: No, I think that's their new headquarters. Cause where else are they going to do? Hang out in a pile of rubble. Not their new. <sighs> I mean, everybody stays at the, at the penthouse. We'll just have to see. But uh, I don't you know, will, this seems, I've read these comics before. as I have said before, uh, there is a big stretch in these two issues to get Superboy out of here yeah. and on his way. And so in the grand scheme of things, if you want to read this just to see how they got rid of Superboy, uh, do it. But otherwise it's a stretch for everything that happens in this thing, except for maybe the RJ brand, uh, isn't, you know, how he got broke story, uh, reveal, yeah. but it's not really that interesting.
2: The RJ brand reveal is actually the best part of both of these issues. And I feel like the Superboy thing is a long walk for a short drink of water because it's not, I understand what they're trying to do. It's another one of those things where Conway is like, this has to be motivated, it has to make sense. But they build so much into this. I mean, basically, one and three quarters issues devoted to how the psycho warrior makes Superboy leave the Legion, essentially, or knocks his, over Domino's. It's his mean, mean stride. Yeah, and I just, I don't know, man. I just, I, I don't get it.
1: That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Man, we went an extra long time yeah. in what we normally do this week. We are running right up on top of another show we have to record, which does bring up this uh, important thing th- that if you enjoy our discussion about this, uh, we right now could really use your help. Uh, we would really appreciate it. If you headed over to uh, patreon.com slash major spoilers and signed up for something as simple as two or $5 a month, if you can afford that, that would be great. We'd like to see your name added to our growing list of spoilerites from around the world who believe in independent podcasters and want to see shows like Legion Clubhouse continue far into the future. We can only do it right now with your help. So things are a little dire. If you would head over to patreon.com slash major spoilers, sign up today and in the meantime, while you're doing that, Matthew's going to tell us what we learned this week.
2: We learned that if you drift for two months in space, you better be wearing a hideous, hideous outfit.
1: I think we also learned that windows are your enemy and you must destroy them every chance you get.
2: And we learned that the Health Insurance, Privacy and Protection Act of 1994 does not survive until the 31st century.
1: Thank you again so much for joining us on the pages of The Legion Clubhouse. If you want to find out more, head over to our website, Majorspoilers.com, or follow us on Twitter. So, until next time, I'm Stoic Man. And
0: I'm Bye-Bye Boltak, boy. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. until next time, eat it, grandpa
1: This podcast is copyright 2021 by Major Spoilers Entertainment LLC.